Welcome to Just Joy Conversations, where I seek to unite, inspire, and enlighten regardless of what you look like or believe or who you love, one conversation at a time. Check out my introductory podcast on JustJoyConversations.com to learn more about my vision. JJC ears, thanks for tuning in to the sixth Just Joy Conversations podcast. And like every week, it just keeps getting better and better. So I'm glad you joined me for this week because, as always, the goal is to educate, unite, and inspire people one conversation at a time. Um, we talk about an array of current issues and topics. And this is a space for all viewpoints to be expressed, even if we don't always agree with them. There's nothing wrong with agreeing to disagree. Sometimes we disagree with things before we even hear a person's reasoning behind their beliefs. And sometimes that reasoning still makes no sense after we hear it, but at least you can be educated about other perspectives. So on this episode, you will definitely be enlightened, whether you agree or not, and I guarantee you're going to learn something. Steve Harvey telling you to act like a lady and think like a man, Ayala Von Zant fixing your life, and today we have my dear friend, Kenny Pugh, who is asking you the question, can you do it standing up? He's been a contributing writer of Black Enterprise, and currently Kenny is a coach, a speaker, and manager of KTP Financial, LLC. So he's leveraged his expertise to help clients improve their businesses, finances, and relationships. Actually, Kenny is where I got my life coach certification. I got mine under him. So I guarantee that you are going to love this episode, and we're going to be talking about something that I've not ever talked about on my podcast before, but am often asked about many things pertaining to relationships. So, Kenny, it is such a pleasure to have you with me tonight <laughs> talking about relationships. Yep. One of my favorite topics of all time. We're going to discuss relationships and it is a privilege to be with you this evening, Joy. We did have a chuckle prior to going live with this conversation about us knowing each other for quite some time growing up yeah, in the uh, yeah. lovely state of Ohio. So yeah. I'm excited that we've gotten to this point. I'm glad to see you are still progressing with impacting the lives of others. And hopefully I won't mess that up this evening. Oh, I have no doubt that you won't do that. And everybody knows I'm avid Ohio State Buckeye fan and you graduated from the esteemed Ohio State. That just makes you even awesome just because of that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm ready to jump right in if you are. Okay. So your book. It is called, Can You Do It Standing Up? Everybody that listens to Just Joy Conversations knows one of my things that I love to tell people is that I am an unapologetic believer. 
So perspectives on my podcast are generally going to lean toward that way as well. But Kitty, I love the title. Can you do it standing up? How did you come up with that title? And what exactly is it? What does the it mean? (laughs) Yeah, that's the the popular question when it comes to my book. It's funny because uh, as I was sharing prior to us going live that this book, even though it was written back in 2011 or published or released in 2011, if you go through chapter by chapter, topic by topic, it's relevant and timely today. So even as we continue with our conversation, it's going to be great to see how even when this was written back in over a period of time between 2008 and 2011, that the concepts and the issues and the challenges and struggles that people are going through uh, are still relevant, even as we are in 2022. So with that being said, thinking back to, as I was trying to title uh, this book, this work, this piece, I started thinking, and I was like, man, what, what can I do to get someone's attention? Uh, who would be interested in this type of material and this type of content? And so I was like, you know what? One of my most popular blogs was titled, Can You Do It Standing Up? Can You Do It mm-hmm. Standing Up? And the it is oftentimes thought about as being more sexual in nature. But mm-hmm. with the underlying uh, message that I was trying to get across to those who take time to partake in the the content of my book was, can you do it standing up? And it can refer to listening. Can you listen to me standing up? Can you care for me standing up? Can you support me standing up? Can you help me achieve my purpose or cheerlead me towards my purpose standing up? And when you think about it, so many times we get caught up in the the physical nature of doing things, but we oftentimes neglect the things that really propel relationships forward, which are the things that happen when you're not lying down. They're the things that you typically do standing up. You spend more time in your relationship standing up than you do lying down. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to catch people's attention, which I did successfully in 2011, and it's still happening today in 2022 that People are always curious about, what do you mean? Can you do a standing up? Yeah, I can do a standing up. And then I flip it on them and say, well, can you listen to me? Can you communicate with me? Can you support me? Can you love me? Can you nurture me standing up? And then it gets you into a deeper conversation and discussion, which is what I ultimately want when people come across my book. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because when I, when I first heard your book title, I was like, my mind went where it probably shouldn't have went. And I was like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. I I gotta read this, and I was so happy I did because if I had had this book probably thirty years ago in my twenties, then I don't know how my dating path would have went. Probably would have been a whole lot better than it was. So it definitely is relative then and now. And so when you first start your book, you talk about contemporary dating, and that was. 10 years ago, and the contemporary dating still is the same as how you describe it in your book. So can you elaborate on what contemporary dating actually means to you and what it was from a book standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think looking back at it, I called it contemporary dating now, but (laughs) 
then, but it's also still contemporary dating now. And so I wanted to do a more of a, a realignment or assessment versus how people are dating today versus how they should be dating. So when I th- talked about contemporary dating, I talked about it for more of the sense of people trying to date to get something out of dating as opposed to giving something back into dating, which I call purposeful dating. And so contemporary dating is pretty much practiced by the majority of people in today's population, right? So a lot of times people are going on these sites, they're meeting people, and they are trying to get something out of their interaction with the person that they're dealing with. So it's just, even in 2022, it still amazes me how you think about people meeting, hooking up, and then Mm -hmm. trying to figure out if they like each other after they've hooked up. So I call that contemporary dating. You are attracted to someone, you go out, you might share a couple of dates and then you get physical. And then after you've gone through the lustful part of engaging with each other, then you try to figure out, do I truly, truly like this person? And so I define that as contemporary dating. And you give so much of yourself, you give the physical part of yourself, you give the emotional part of yourself, you give the the kind of the mental part of yourself to someone who has not yet earned the right to be on the receiving side of what you have to offer them. And so that is contemporary dating at its finest. Whereas we should be trying to understand each other, grow, develop a natural understanding of one another, become friends with one another. Then once you have connected those dots, then you can start talking about escalating or or propelling that relationship forward to the future states of dating, relationship, engagement, then marriage, and then living happily ever after. So that's the definition of contemporary dating is doing things the way that we see them to be attractive today, giving of yourself in more of a lustful way, and then trying to figure out whether I like that person after we have connected in a way we probably shouldn't have. Right. So you get physical and then you find out they're crazy. <laughs> Pretty much in a nutshell. That that was my story, at least. It's like, oh Lord. So yeah, that is interesting. And you do mention in the book that the contemporary dating, it doesn't really have a color attached to it. And there is an increase in divorce and Pretty much people that get divorced fall into the category of having contemporary dated in the past. So that really stood out to me. And you also point out that there's increase in STDs in children born out of wedlock, single parenting. And the one thing that stood out to me, too, is that there aren't really a lot of healthy relationships that we can model after. Like our parents, I know your parents have probably been married probably like 40 and 40 year range. Uh, My parents would have been married 63 years if my dad had still been living. And so currently I'm like, who do we look to to model our relationships after Jay-Z and Beyonce? I mean, (laughs) we don't have that model anymore. Yeah, I mean, and that's the challenge that we we find ourselves dealing with today. And so when you, you think about it, millennials have the highest rate of not being married. So millennials and those coming beyond 
are not flocking towards or having having a desire to be married. And they are content with doing and living life their own way. And they are more in pursuit of personal dreams and that sort of thing as they are versus uh, trying to model the historical way that marriage was, was constituted and in the way that our parents uh, connected and lived out their lives. And even uh, you know some of the older people that we would consider like cousins and that sort of thing have done the same thing. Uh, but we see a shift in that. I don't know if we want to call it good or bad, but it's definitely not lining up the way that you and I have been brought up to view relationships and building legacies and stabilizing the household and families and things of that nature. So it's a challenge as one that I'm still trying to get my arms around. I don't really deal with the topic as much as I used to, uh, but that's something that has definitely piqued my interest because I see so many millennials and, and those that are, are younger in nature and having no desire at all to be married. What happens to that group? You know, how do they manage? How do they manage life with the physical urges and things of that nature? And I think we just will find ourselves dealing with the the consequences of those decisions, and we're going to see a shift in how things are ultimately carried out uh, in our society today. And and it's heading in a way that's not necessarily positive. But I'm definitely interested to see how this trend continues to flow. Yeah, me too. Especially now, I have nieces and nephews and. They're young. They shouldn't even be thinking about what a boy or a girl is because they're two, four and not even one. But I'm already thinking ahead for them like, oh, Lord, what's it going to be for them? Okay, so you're mentioning millennials and with millennials, it comes the, the phrase of casual sex. Can you do it standing up? Also talks about abstaining and being celibate during your the dating journey and experience what would you say has been your interaction i guess or have you had any dialogue with people who more so feel like casual sex is the way to go what would you tell them why they should consider doing it standing up yeah i mean that's a great question and and for me writing this back in the midst of my journey of a celibacy and going through that journey and actually just documenting a number of the experiences that I was dealing with personally, it was easier and fresher for me to communicate as to you know my position and why I thought it was it was worthwhile. But as we've seen this trend shift, I think even in today's time, I would have trouble, uh, more trouble than I did then, promoting this whole idea of abstinence and celibacy and and trying to do things in the way that you do them standing up the right way. Mm-hmm. And it's tough, man, because like I'm on the other side of marriage about what, eight going on eight years. Uh, mm-hmm. We're in our eighth year of marriage and we'll be at, at number eight in December. Even now, when people reach out to me about this topic, it's tough. It's a tough sale. And it's, it's not that I should be selling it, you know, being a born again believer. But when I wrote this book, I didn't want to just write it to impact the lives of those who are Bible-believing souls and, and people that understand that way of life and thinking. I wanted to also have inroads and use it as a conversation piece to those who may not necessarily fully 
believe uh, the way that I believe from a spiritual perspective, which I was successful in doing. It's challenging inside the kingdom to get people to align with this because we still have that urge. We still like what we like. There's mm-hmm. a there's something about sex that mm-hmm. makes us want to continue to do it. And so if it's challenging for those who are Bible believing Christians, you know, it's definitely going to be challenging to sell that concept to people who aren't. But when you start talking about why it's important and the oxytocin that's uh, being released in the midst of having sex and how that it is also released during childbirth, which bonds the mother to to the child and during nursing and that sort of thing. And, and people start to see, OK, there's a chemical, something that is more hormonal in nature when I'm having intimacy with someone and I'm connecting myself physically and spiritually to something that may not necessarily should have been a part of my existence or part of my connection. And that's, <laughs> that's interesting. So that's where the traction goes. Like if I can tell you about times where you connected with somebody and they were an unhealthy attachment mm-hmm. and you can relate back to that person being uh, crazy or that person doing things that were unstable in nature, then I have your attention because now you can relate. And so that's the conversational piece that I used to use back in the early 2000s. That would be the same thing that I would use even today in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yes. Those flashbacks are are real. <laughs> so it's like Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, we talk about soul ties and some some people don't really understand what that is, but you're absolutely right that it's a bonding experience. Even if you think you're casually having sex, there's still something that goes on that connects you, whether it should or shouldn't, to that person. And that's when you have a hard time getting over people and things of that nature. So, yeah, that's, yep. that's real. So in your book, you also give little in- insights, which I loved. You give insights to women about men and the idea that the only thing really that's exciting to men is new sex. Um, (laughs) And then you talk about for men that they need to value a woman who brings peace instead of just making him feel good when he's laying down. And so could you talk about that part? of the book because I really love the explanation about men and the piece where you said that sometimes you can be the best woman ever and you can be doing everything for that man and he still will go and cheat on you and you're left leave like what what in the world did I do and you you then have bad self-esteem because you think that you're not good enough but really it's not you at all it's that's just a man thing yeah, I mean, I, I think I deal with it multiple times. Is there a specific chapter that you want me to address uh, out of that, or you want me to deal with it more conceptually? Well, it's chapter two, where you break it down, the insights for women and then the <laughs> insights for men, that's the one that I liked because it was like, oh, wow, especially when you say you can do everything right, but you'll still be left heartbroken if he doesn't operate through a source of conviction, or if he is unappreciative of the value you bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, depending on the phase where you connect with 
a man, um, depending where he is in his life. A lot of times, especially when I'm talking to younger women, young adult women, the first thing when we start talking about boys and when we start talking about young men, the one concept that I, I always teach them is that there's no sex better than new sex. And mm-hmm. so no matter how good or gifted you think you are in that particular area, it really means nothing. Because once the chase is over, once you have been conquered, if that person has not matured to a place where he wants to go to a different level in his life, that you're just now a stat that has already been conquered and accomplished. And the next rush that that man is going to be feeling or that boy is going to be going after the next person that they have not yet conquered. And so you you can be doing everything correct. You can be the most beautiful woman on earth. You could be the one that is handling her business from an education standpoint, from a professional standpoint. But ultimately, when you start to think about dealing with people in the various phases of their life, if you catch the man in the wrong phase, you're going to be nothing more than someone who's being chased to be conquered. And then after the conquest is over, they're on to the next target. And that is something that can leave you broken down. It can leave you beaten up. It can leave you devastated. But if you know and understand that position in the beginning, it allows you to understand and ask the right questions and interact with the man uh, in such a way that that doesn't become something that overtakes you as a young adult woman, as a woman, and even older women are dealing with that, coming across men who still haven't matured in, to that, that place in their life where they want to have longer term relationships. And so I'm still warning women in their 40s that are dealing with the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you, if you understand that going in, you know what to look out for. Right. You said ask the right questions. What are what are some questions that we definitely, as women or men, need to ask the person that we have interest in and we're trying to get to know better? What are some questions that are not necessarily like intrusive or invasive? Like right off the bat, you probably I just this used to get on my nerves when I was dating. It's like a guy would ask, what kind of car do you drive? Where you work? What do you do? I'm like, hold up. You, you don't need to know all that. What you going to try to jack me or something? But right. what, are, what are, and those, I mean, it is good to know like what a person's employment is. What are some things that really can open your eyes in the beginning to know if this is somebody you should keep spending your time with or trying to get to know better? Because the questions are things that would actually be useful in helping you make the decision to go forward with this person? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. And, and one of the things that I think about when you pose that question is to have real meaningful conversations. Like, it's really as simple as that. So let's not talk materialistic things. Let's, let's not talk material things. Let's not talk about superficial things. Let's talk about things that have real meaning. And so mm-hmm. when you start to think about the types of questions to to ask. It's I think is very appropriate to say, you know, where do you see yourself at this phase in your life? It allows that person to talk about him or herself. It allows them to communicate what's really on their heart. And it allows you as the recipient 
to be able to determine if someone has really put any thought into where they are in their life and where they want to go Mm -hmm. and to see if they have really healed from any of the past things that they might have gone through. Because when you start to talk about where you are in your life, where do you see yourself going? If they haven't healed, a lot of the responses will reveal some of the pain points, the points of hurt. And that gives you a chance to really assess whether or not you want to continue to engage with this person or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing. The the next thing is, tell me about your childhood, how you grew up. You know, you have any yes. brothers, you have any sisters? You know, what is your 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 fondest memory of of growing up as a, a child in Ohio or wherever they're from? Allowing them to communicate how they saw their upbringing, it'll help them once again reveal any points that may still be lingering out there. And that's that's something that's important to try to address without being intrusive. You can ask a general question like that. And if it comes out, then you know that it's on the surface. If it doesn't come out, then it, it gives you once again, a perspective of where that person is in his or her life and whether or not you want to continue to grow and learn more about that person. And then after that, it's like, okay, so tell me about your previous relationships. What did you learn? I I think when we get to a place where we're not trying to help people cast blame and -hmm. just ask them, what did they learn? What was one thing or two things that they've learned about their previous relationships that if they could do things over that they would do change or, or address those two items, then Mm -hmm. that gives you a chance to see if once again, if he or she is super hurt or, or whatever the case may be and in need of dealing or addressing their past, their relationships, or if they can speak honestly and frankly and say, you know what? I messed up. Mm-hmm. I should have did things differently. I could have done things differently. I didn't treat him or her the way that I probably should have. Mm-hmm. And once again, that's that's a point of growth and learning. And if you can get somebody to communicate and express that, then you have somebody who has grown. And so that's that's where I I think those types of questions help to facilitate growth. Yes. And I have a few women friends that I I just have to say that if they're asked that question, tell me about your previous relationship. Have you grown? Ladies, do not start by talking about the man and how he dogged you and how he did this and that. Men don't usually want to hear that. So I like what you said, Kenny, as far as if someone asked you, what did you learn? That is good because that does not point the finger or blame at the person in the relationship that might have messed up, but it's more so, okay, they might have messed up, but what did you learn in that experience and how did you grow? So that, that is a really good way of putting those first initial dating questions to get to learn people a little bit better. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Now, you have so many good chapters in your book. Y'all need to get the book. It's on Amazon. Can You Do It Standing Up by Kenny Pugh. One of the chapters that really I hear a lot about people that talk to me complaining about is being in the friend zone. And you break down being in the friend zone pretty well. What are are the signs that you are in the friend zone? And is there a way to really get out of the friend zone if you're in it? (laughs) The, The friend zone is always a funny topic. So 
when somebody puts you in a friend zone, it's like I think I refer to it as being an incubator for developing your friendship with the opposite sex. And when you get cast or placed into the friend zone, I am in total agreement with building a friendship with Mm -hmm. someone before trying to pursue whether or not that person deserves or you're interested in going further with that person in the form of dating and relationships. But if it gets to a point where you're just kind of out in no man's land, or no woman's land, then that's when it becomes an uncomfortable position where you have, or that person has an interest in you and you don't know where they fit or you have an interest in them, but they don't know where you fit. And so when you start talking about the friend zone, it's the uncomfortable position where you become temporarily suspended between platonic origin of friendship and the desired blissful destination of romantic relationship. And I thought, the way that I crafted that was was so fitting to how people feel. It's like, you know, you have an interest in that person, but they won't allow you past a certain place or they have a certain interest in you and you won't allow them past a certain place in your life. And so when you start to talk about it from when I, I, I put in the friend zone for women, I put that all women are susceptible to being in the friend zone or that state of being. It does not discriminate based off of how pretty you think you are or how much money you have or, you know, how spiritual mature you think you are or smart you think you are. As a woman, you are guilty of nothing more than allowing the wiring of your innate desire to read into signs that may or may not be true indicators of the interest level a man has for you. And so what are some of the signs to look for? in order to assess whether or not you fall into the friend zone. So I I provided some of those. So like you have established a great friendship, have grown to learn so much about his personal life. You find him attractive, but things have been this way for months or maybe even years. And I think everyone has a story about having an interest in someone in which you learn so much about that person, but things never progress past that stage. So that was one sign, right? The second thing I talked about was you talk to him regularly and the pattern of communication resembles that of two people in a relationship. And so he refers or thinks of you as a sister and you're talking to him more in the the perspective of one day, hopefully being more than that in his life, right? So that's another way or another sign that you can see that you're in the friend zone or you find yourself reaching out to him when exciting things happen in your life. But his reaction never confirms anything other than platonic or brotherly joy for you. And so that's those are three signs that I think I put in in -hmm. the book that talks about that. And it's a dangerous place to be. And so if you start to see that you are having a deeper desire for him and he puts you through one of these signs that I list out, then you're probably in the friend zone. Yeah. And and you put it very clearly in the book. You say, if a man never makes a direct move at trying to spend time with you, it is an indicator that he doesn't have an intimate level of feelings for you. And that's so plain and simple, but there are still some women out there who have been place other men on the back burner because of this one person that they just hope and pray and us spiritual women would be like, Lord, I know you're going to provide. You said you're going to give me the desires of my heart. I desire this man. 
And they don't move forward, even though the signs are there that this person may not be the one for you. So that was very good to read from a male perspective as far as if he doesn't show interest, he probably doesn't have any. Yeah, that's pretty straight and plain uh, and straight to the point, right? <laughs> right. Now, what about the women that go out and they are the aggressor? They're the pursuer. I know there's, I have a lot of friends that are, they don't say that they're thirsty, but they don't mind going up to a man if they're out, giving him a signal that they're interested. They like act like dudes. What is the downside of women being assertive in initiating? contact with a male. Yeah, I think as I look at it today, because there are so many men who reside in a place of, I don't want to say that they're scared or fearful, but they are so laid back to the point where it would take an act of God to get them to to move on their interest in that woman or, or woman that they have an interest in. And so I think and I've and I've, I kind of teeter totter on this. I think that there is some some value in a woman showing or expressing an interest in a man, provided that it doesn't go above and beyond the place of comfort in allowing him to be a man. And so I say it like this: You can be the first to initiate the conversation, but if you don't allow him to be the one that initiates the pursuit then you're positioning yourself for disappointment. That's where I lie with it, right? So say hello, say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, you have a great smile. Hey, I like that suit. Hey, nice watch. Hey, nice shoes. So initiate the conversation, but allow the man to be the one to initiate the pursuit beyond that initial contact. If you don't, if you become the pursuer, now you're positioning yourself and you're stripping the way that the roles naturally have been established. You think of men, men are naturally pursuers in the way that we were created, but things have shifted a little bit. Now uh, we have grown into the, the levels of being pursued and things have not gone so great with us being on the receiving end. It's almost now we're being catered to. It takes the manhood away from us. We will take advantage of those things, but we never reassert ourselves as being the man and being the pursuer in the relationship. And ultimately relationships are struggling because of that. And so there's a fine line, but if you come off as thirsty, that person will address their thirst. The man will address his thirst and then uh, pursue on to the next situation that may be better suited for him. Right. He'll give you a drink of water. And then throw away the water bottle. (laughs) Yep, exactly. I thought, because, you know, I was single for quite a while. I didn't get married until I was 45. But I tried some tips for my little, my friends that were those aggressive women. And I was a horrible flirt. Like, my line was, ooh, what is that you have on? Because I love cologne. So if a man Mm -hmm. actually was cute and had on some good cologne, that, that was my line. and. Most of the time, it didn't work. (laughs) So I I didn't really have any game, but I also decided that, yeah, no, I need to be pursued. If somebody is interested, somehow that they'll let me know. So I totally agree with letting the man pursue you because they like like the chase. 
and it makes us feel like a man when we are the one that are that is pursuing the prize, right? So right, right. I don't want to get too deep into that, but there's there's something about a man having the opportunity to chase and then to go and win the prize and feeling accomplished and feeling that sense of masculinity. So that's a that's where I stand with it. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of men do too as well. You talk about uninvited guests, Um, Uh people that are in relationships subconsciously, pretty much, that it's not like obvious they're there messing things up, but they are. I think this goes for marriage as well as dating. I know some relationships, they don't work out because there's always, you know, that friend that's been there and maybe the person that's in the relationship They may know about the friend, but a lot of times they don't even know about the friend and it doesn't work. So talk about the boundaries, I guess, that you should put between people that would not necessarily cause friction in your relationship or that would kind of keep it safe. Yeah, I think the first thing that I referenced in that particular chapter was talking about the unhealthy things that you bring into new prospective relationships. And so everything can be viewed as good on the outside. They have the great resume. They've they've graduated with their bachelor's or their master's or their doctorate. They are seemingly, you know, kind of going through life and they have everything going on, but they can look or appear to be great externally and be carrying these things called uninvited guests. And so getting into that, I I know I volunteered myself as someone who had uninvited guests that I brought into relationships. I gave the example of bringing along memories of of previous women into relationships for men. So you're referring to these previous women, these previous relationships, how this person did this for you, how this person did that for you. And that is a great way to disqualify being able to connect with the woman of your dreams because you're bringing this uninvited guest profile into your prospective situation with that new person. And that's that's unhealthy. That's one thing that is going to sabotage a potentially great relationship. And so that is one of the the things that you have to look at when you are a man and bringing those memories into a new prospective relationship. And then for women, outside male advisors. So (laughs) one thing that will make a man upset is knowing that you are interacting or you have a level of, of connectedness to outside men and they have the ability to contribute into your life for you to make decisions and your inability to separate them from the situations that you may be going through with this new prospective relationship. Mm -hmm. I have done that before. I've had male advisors, but I pivoted and grew up a little bit and any male that would be close to me it would be known and introduced and all that good stuff. If there was interest from that male that I wasn't aware of, doing that and keeping things up front, then you would begin to see that male that you thought was your your homie, they, they kind of fall off. And so you realize that really wasn't a friend. 
that was something more that it was just never explored. Just a couple more things that I think are really, really good that I would like you to speak on and it will be done is you talk about, would you date you is one of the chapters <laughs> in your book. And that was a question that I had to ask myself. Well, it was more, would I marry me? Because, you know, by that time I was like, hey, I, I need to be somebody's Ruth looking for my Boaz. But that was a very good question of would, would you date you? And I know that women, we sometimes want the man with the 800 credit score, good teeth, good job. Everybody knows you. We want all that. But then we may not necessarily, we might have a 400 credit score. We work at, at the mall. We're a manager, you know. And it's like, is it fair to want what we aren't? Or should we become what we want to attract? Right. And I think there's a balance there. Right. So I think back when I was writing that, I was more looking at people who had these checklists like my man needs to do this. My man needs to do this. My man needs to do this. My man needs to bring this to the table and having this absurdly long checklist of things that they want their future spouse to bring to the table without going through the same assessment of themselves as a person, bringing to the table that 800 credit score, bringing to the table that six-figure job, bringing to that table fun to be with, bringing to the table the desire to want to have a family or kids or whatever the case may be, you know, not allowing themselves to go through the same evaluation that they're going to put other people through. And so I always ask people, would you date yourself? And if you are uncomfortable answering that question, then there's some there's some additional work that needs to be done. And so you want the man with the six pack or the big muscles, but you come to the table and you're unhealthy, right? You're you you may not necessarily be the the walking billboard of, of physical health. What, how fair is that for your man to have to be six one and have those washboard abs? when you're not able to bring the healthy you to the table. And so that's you know kind of those things that I say, would you marry yourself? And a lot of times people backtrack uh, and they have to reassess what's important to them based off of what, what their interests are versus what they're bringing to the table. So taking a look at your physical health, taking a look at yourself as a, as a professional, if you looking for the six figure person, is that something, are you, are you in a healthy place from a professional standpoint and bringing that into the relationship financially, you want somebody who has this level of wealth, but you're unable to manage $2 in your checking account, right? <laughs> so just going through those questions and saying, would I date me? And if the answer is no, then you have some improvement to do. Right, right. And so we, we talked about celibacy. And one of the things uh, when I would have this discussion with people, that would always come up is absolutely not because I need to know, I need to test drive it before, you know, I commit to it or put a ring on it as Beyonce says. So <laughs> that's something you talk about in your book too. And what are your thoughts about, is there, is there any relevance to that? Like you marry someone, you have no knowledge of them intimately, and then you get married and it's like, this person is not 
the Bridgerton scenes like you thought that it was going to be when you got married. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough once again. Those who subscribe to the uh, the teachings of the Bible have to believe that what God has for you is for you. Or, you know, I think that's kind of the catchphrase of the decade or of the year. But you have to have faith that God is not going to take you into a place that's that's unhealthy for you. So when you think about test driving before you buy it, I used to have to try to come up with catchy ways to say, you know what, that's not necessarily that's not necessarily the the right thing to do. When we talked about, I used to talk about the the Bentley. Traditionally, Bentleys don't have a lot of test drives before somebody buys it, right? They they know someone comes in and they know the value of the Bentley. They know the value of the Rolls Royce, and so the the rush is understanding or the excitement is understanding now I'm in a position to secure or or acquire this Bentley or this Rolls Royce. And you have to view yourself the same way. The beauty is in someone's ability to now have connected with you in such a way that you're now going to be their husband or their wife. That's the prize. And the reward is that you have allowed yourself to go through the process and you're going to have faith that God is going to bring the reward or the excitement or the fulfillment uh, on the other side of that decision. So that's that's one way to approach it. The other way that I used to approach it is to think about treating yourself like a business and understanding that everybody that comes into your place of business and applies for a position isn't qualified. Everyone that comes in and and becomes an employee of your of your company isn't going to work out for the long term. They usually have this temporary window when you are hired on before they extend benefits to you. And so you have to work for 90 days or what, or 120 days, whatever that number is, before you now qualify for the benefits. And so if you look at yourself the same way, right, you don't allow somebody to have access. They don't have full medical coverage. They don't have the full uh, insurance coverage. They don't have the ability to contribute to a 401k when they walk through the door on day one. Sometimes there is a period. There's a waiting period. There is a probationary period that they have to go through before they can now tap in to the benefits of being an employee of a specific company. And so you have to think of yourself in such a way that that mirrors how you treat your life and how you treat yourself and how you value yourself. And so I still believe in that, that concept. I do believe that there are some unique challenges that we're dealing with because we are older. Uh, A lot of people are getting married and engaging in relationships later in life. And so that brings about a different level of tough things to have to work through. I also believe that there's some value in in waiting and understanding that you get a chance to learn someone on a different level than you would be able to learn them if you jump right into the physical connection from day one. Yes, that is so true. And as I got older, I learned that, yeah, Joy Enterprises is a darn good company. So (laughs) I'm going to verify your resume before I hire you for one. And yeah, benefits, we'll see. You're right. Yeah, I love love that analogy. Well, there's so much more we can dive into in your book. 
you even have the relationship formula for success. So people, I'm telling you, if you like Steve Harvey's book, then you're going to love Kenny's book because it is so insightful. And guys, there's something in there for you too. Go to Amazon and get the book. Can you do it standing up by Kenny Pugh? And Kenny, thank you so, so much, my old friend, for taking time out of your schedule because I know you have busyness and Sundays are probably your day that you want to just chill with your beautiful (laughs) wife. And so I just appreciate you giving me a little bit of your time and wisdom. And maybe we'll do a part two one of these days because there's so much more that we could talk about that would be relative or relevant for people to hear that are dating or that are even married. When are you going to do a marriage book since you're married now? I bet you could help us marry folks too a little bit. Yeah, I think the challenges of marriage are so complex that I'm still trying to get my arms around it. I don't know if I'm... (laughs) If I'm uh, in a position <laughs> to write a marriage book be, until I've gone through you know, some of these other complexities right. that I've experienced already and the things that I see some of my married friends going through as well. So I, I think it would be premature. Even as I approach year number eight, I still don't feel like I have a full grasp of being able to really conceptually break down how to make someone successful in marriage. But I'm getting there. I think, uh, okay. uh, you know, that's something that may surface here soon. But as of right now, I don't I don't have any date to release anything like that yet. OK, well, that, that gives me a little bit of I feel a little better because I'm only going into year four. So if you still like, hey, OK, I'm navigating it, then that means I'm OK. I don't have to be the Huxtables <laughs> or whoever, more like the Jeffersons, I guess. But anyway, I don't, we don't have to be all that just quite yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll just put a bookmark right here and, and know that there's something that, that's on the way at some point in the future. Cool. Well, thank you again. And you guys tune into the next episode of Just Joy Conversations where we are going to be talking about faith and the alternative lifestyle. You don't want to miss that. So until then, don't stop believing and I'll talk to you on the flip side.